The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and finally coming up for air out of the Theory Crafting Underwater Lab, it's Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing okay. How are you? Uh, mentally exhausted. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if people really recognize how much work you have to put in to get this stuff out of the door, but uh, I think this is day number 10 of, of yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, now it's just recording a podcast and I'm going to relax after it, but the previous nine days were fairly difficult, but yeah, we got through them and we finished the content. We're now we talking on... Yeah. Yeah, it is uh, the time of this recording. It is Monday the 11th. The expansion comes out on Tuesday the 12th. So, yeah, we we got there and we're really, really excited to play. But we want to give you something to listen to when you're reading over both the comprehensive preview on the website as well as the 30 decks to try on day one article. So, just to cover, before we get going, we're going to dive into the expansion just like you all are on the 12th. We usually get an early impressions podcast out over the opening weekend. We're hoping for that this time too, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the goal. There is a name. I'm not sure if it's going to be Saturday or Sunday, but I believe it will be in the weekend, uh, first weekend of the expansion. Uh, it's it's a must-listen-to podcast, of course. Uh, it's a tradition at this point. The first impressions of a new meta with a new expansion with rotation. Nobody will know anything about what's happening. And yeah. we're going to provide clarity on what's going on. And I'm excited for it. So One of my favorite you, you episodes of the year in. because I get about a 12-hour heads up on what I should be doing differently when you crap all over half the decks that seem like total bait and also talk about some other decks that are sneaking up on us. Uh, but we'll have that out the upcoming weekend. And then we should have the report the following week on the twenty first. Yes, that's the that's the plan. If there are no balance changes, uh, I don't expect them. I think that there, there's a re they delayed the master store. I think part of the reason why they did that is because they uh, have a, a window of potential balance changes uh, on that week. So. Uh, I don't. I don't think that will have unless there's some emergency stuff that needs to be addressed. Yeah, the the nine day window would be their emergency, and that's kind of what they were missing for day deck of lunacy last year. So that's kind of what they adapted to here. Is the expansion comes out on Tuesday the twelfth? I would guess the fastest they can get actual car changes in the client is nine days later on Thursday the twenty first, which is the day the first report would come out, and also a week before the rescheduled master store. That would be my guess if they have a window there and if they know what to hit and if they need to hit something that fast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's... Uh, we're talking about balance changes already. Uh, let's talk about which classes may trigger those uh, requirements for yeah. balance changes. But uh, we'll go over alphabetically just like we do for... Just like we did for the card preview and the theorycrafting article. 
And we're going to talk about Demon Hunter first. And let me tell you how uh, it's actually first, but the most difficult class. It was the most difficult class to build for sure. I'm still reiterating stuff for the theorcrafting article and trying to figure things out. But but this is a class that was really hard to build. And part of the reason why it was really hard to build is because it lost its most like the, the the first year of Demon Hunter, the introduction of Demon Hunter, it got the class got so many powerful cards. Uh and even like the subtle things, like you you're trying to build like a big demon hunter deck, and then you realize that Pit Commander, literally the best possible demon that you can cheat out, is rotating out too. Because Pit Commander came in Ashes of Outland with yep. Skull of Gul'dan. And all of the really powerful Demon Hunter stuff that was in that expansion is now gone. And, you know, Skullman still had really powerful cards. So throughout the rest of the year, it, had, it got really powerful cards, really important ones. Glide for Final Showdown decks. Like, what do Final Showdown decks do now without Glide? What do you do without Skull? Um, uh, even, like, Token DH lost a lot of its powerful support even though it never worked but how do you expect it to work now right so it's just going to be very i think it's going to be difficult for demon hunter to be figured out not necessarily i don't know if it's going to be weak but i'm going to say that if people don't figure out something with lady uh theno who i feel is the most powerful card that they got in the set and the most exciting one uh, to build around, then this class is going to be in trouble. Predation, fantastic. You're probably going to want to play Nagas uh, in most of your decks, perhaps ex- like with the exception of Death Rattle, Demon Hunter, for obvious reason, which is a deck that was left intact, right? Because it, it was introduced in Barons. It's it's the deck of this year. Um, but outside of that, you're probably going to play you know whether you're playing an aggressive demon hunter deck with a bunch of early game nagas or a fell demon hunter deck probably with a similar package of early nagas to to proc predation and try to get that jace going with multi-strike and 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 juice him up to some some big combo maybe with bran uh that's like Probably the most exciting proposition for the for the class late game, but when you think about uh, you know all these um, decks like the mech decks and the murloc decks, like the murloc warlock or things like that, if those things end up working out, Demon Hunter doesn't really have great AOE anymore, uh, and it's probably going to struggle because you know it's always struggled if you vomited a lot of stats to the board at the same time, like massive buffed bodies is something that demon hunter generally cannot deal with very well but now there's no morgue you know there's no emulation aura so what do you even do uh against that kind of stuff so if that kind of stuff becomes powerful i think the class is going to be in trouble it's i'm just looking at all these puzzle pieces that were removed and there are so many cards that i just took for granted i kept looking for emulation aura in all of our deck lists we don't have it. It's not yeah. standard. Yeah. It's not in standard. It's just like this card was so important. And now you like do you need to run Glaive Shark now in order to have some AoE? Uh a card that's 
it's not a bad card, right? It's a decent card, but it's still it's worse than Immolation Aura and Moarg Artificer and all of that removal package and and, and Fell Screen Blast. Let me Fell Screen Blast is going away. So what do you do? You can't even build you can't even build around Talented Arcanist anymore. Uh, so so your survivability is weaker. Your card draw is weaker. Like I think Demon Hunter just draws less card than Priest now. Well, and okay, we're gonna say that about eight other classes too. Yeah, so. I don't know, but but it's it just it just weird to to try and build Demon Hunter decks, and suddenly you don't have that much card draw or that many options, and the only options you were given is this terrible. Uh, abyssal depth like maybe you'll end up like you know there's there's a reason there's a weird reason why this card has a weird cost maybe this card was too powerful at three mana but i really don't know why this this is so slow four mana draw two now in demon hunter i don't think you're ever gonna do that and you know what i, I remember me saying that you know, we were talking about this card in private at and I was saying, look, this card could be three mana. And then he said, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to Vandar on four. Like, that might be too good. But if you actually tried building Big Demon Hunter, you, you would, you would not think like that at all. There's actually nothing that's particularly overly powerful to cheat out with Vandar at that point. So I don't even think that deck would win much uh, if it did. I'm just. I just think that if it was three mana, then maybe an aggressive deck plays it. Maybe Fell Demon Hunter can play it. But now it's just there's just nothing. Now the one thing is, without Skull, maybe some of the cards that are limited, like that, are too expensive or clunky to play before, we'll see more play. Or things like Coil Scar Commander can see play because maybe Demon Hunter can. Can not like you can avoid being so outcast reliant. You can actually build a fell demon under that without any outcast cards now. So maybe like Coilscar Commander can be the way you defend against aggressive decks. The other hand, this is a very resource intensive card. You have to play three spells to do it. Um it's it's not it's not an easy undertaking. Um and then you have like this package of uh, a Jaren defector um, with Bonglave. I mean, it sounds good in theory, right? You equip Bonglave on five. Yeah. Low, it, sounds, it, it, it sounds mildly functional. It sounds like we I can mean, make our cards do what we want to do. I mean, I don't know. I mean, 15 damage, hat. You equip the Bonglave, right? You pull, you you dredge the sunken defector, and that's a four mana five attack charge. Uh, that also deals five damage, but it goes face, so you can deal fifteen with it. And like a deck like Death Rattle Demon Hunter, um, which currently plays Inquisitors, and let me tell you something: Inquisitors is are horrible right now. They're way too slow. Like turn nine, you're dealing eight damage to face nine with the hero power, and now you have the option to maybe uh, do fifteen over two turns with just a couple of cards, and you don't actually need to spend mana on a Jaren Defector. So maybe let me remind you, I gave you this card a one. 
I'm a bit coping here. I'm, I'm looking, I'm trying to look at it from an optimistic perspective, but maybe this is something, this is some burst that you can do. And by the way, if you're building an aggro demon hunter deck, I think Boneglaive will end up being played if there's an aggro demon hunter because there's just no offboard. There's not much offboard damage anymore for like an aggressive demon hunter deck. Like you can't play, uh, you know, like a card like Fury is not something that you really want to play in Aggro Demon Hunter. So you don't have much off-board damage. And having Boneglaive, even without a Sharon Defector, is just, you know, I just need the 10 damage. But maybe if we're in a situation where I'm building an Aggro Demon Hunter deck and I'm thinking, oh, I need more damage, so I am going to play Arcanite Reaper, then that kind of means the class is in trouble. <laughs> Right, because that tells you that the card quality is quite low. If we we look into how aggressive Demon Hunter decks used to be built, uh, Dark Moon Fair had some really had a really really good one, which had acrobatics and stilt stepper and skull, and you were able to run your twin slices or your furies or whatever when you had access to a bunch of cheap card draw. We don't have that anymore. So if you just top deck a Fury on turn five, that's your card for the turn. Good luck. So Need for yeah. Greed uh. is doing its best to do a lot of heavy lifting here, but it's not ideal in most decks. Like the aggressive deck does not ever want to pay five for that. And you don't really want a tradable either. So yeah, we're probably topping out at the Arcanine Reaper at the, the Bone Glaive. And then hoping that we hit enough to end the game before we run out of stuff, because we're going to run out of stuff. There's just not that much draw anymore in most classes, but Demon Hunter, it's the biggest and starkest difference because they lost two years where almost all the draw was concentrated in the first year, and we just didn't even notice it. Yeah, like all the draw was in the first year, and then on the second year, they were like, okay, let's relax a little bit. And now there's just, there's just almost nothing. Um, I will say that if Demon Hunter ends up surprising, it's probably going to come from someone figuring out some crazy build with Lady Thino. Uh, like maybe like their people are floating like you're playing abusive sergeants in order to buff her attack while you change spells and just... OTKD opponent that way like you need to keep a board clear but you can technically like you know a double abusive you get her to six attack and then you just play like four spells if the board is clear then they're dead yeah the the Sethino combo the the scaling flame waker thing I know that people are really uh curious about that I've seen some folks suggesting storm pike quartermaster the 2-2 history buff after you cast a spell, you give a random minion your hand plus one plus one. Just go nuts with that. Um, good luck keeping your hand full of spells. And good luck making sure that you don't hit other minions. But if you can get that to work, I don't know, you can get that to work. I mean, maybe you play Kobold Taskmaster just to get more health. Like, not health, like just cheap spells so you can fuel Zeno. What does Kobold Taskmaster do? What is that card? Three mana, two, four. Uh give like add to one mana spells to your hand that right it makes the the bananas equivalents 
Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Man, I, mean, I think I, I think Priest is gonna play this this expansion. Not, not gonna, not no Kappa. I think that card is gonna see play. It has been a while since I've put my four set goggles on, but I have to realign <laughs> yeah. what I consider to be a good card again after yeah, coming yeah. out of the end of Alterac, where people just make up their new hand whenever they want. Yeah, yeah. I think like. When I when I think about you know maybe you can do some some crazy stuff in a final showdown deck. Now, how does final showdown function without uh, uh, glide? I will say one thing is that you often don't need glide to complete the quest. You can play like Need for Greed, and that will get the quest done very often with like tradables and like things like Spectrosite. Yeah. If you load up with tradables, then you can be fine. My issue with Glide though is that post completion you some you really want to glide your own hand to to get all these cards back to your deck so you can discount them and redraw them. And now it's gonna be far more difficult to do. Uh maybe you play Finley Sea Guide <laughs> to get those cards back. You float that idea. I don't hate it. You could, though it's worth noting, the cards you get off Finley don't get discounted because you don't draw them. Yeah, but if you if you play like Final Showdown deck, then maybe you play you have to play Sentinel now just to be able yeah. because your your post completion draw is just not good enough anymore. You don't have acrobatics, which is critical if you're not playing Sentinel anymore. Uh, you don't have like let's just say your your options are far more narrow and it's true for world classes in some to some degree but in demon hunter it feels the most difficult it's pretty incredible and i'm sure we're gonna hear about it but it's pretty incredible to me out of the 30 decks on the report uh how many have a quest in them i think there is there are two of the 30 yeah there's warrior and there's hunter yeah i, I like a lot of the quest lines so much support i mean we'll we'll yeah. go over the classes and, and talk about them but you know i'm just challenging maybe the these fundamental flaws might not be so fundamental i will say this in terms of quest completion i think that demon hunter can actually manage in terms of post quest though i think it has a problem yeah um it's, there are a lot of decks that we came up with that well really you came up with where you can do something cool in the middle of the game and have some good turns. And then what? And Demon Hunter has this big and then what question of, all right, I do my thing. Now how do I win? And there's not really a great answer there. Yeah, I mean, I think Brand Jace is something that people will try. And Xeno and Abusives is something that maybe people are going to try. And if there will be any surprise, I think it's going to come from that. Somebody will figure out some crazy thing. I think it's just really hard to theory craft. So I'm giving it a shot. We'll see what happens with Demon Hunter. But yep. it's probably, if it's successful, that success is probably going to come from something unintuitive and weird and surprising. Something that people I haven't seen before. That's for sure. Over yep. these uh, theory crafting. Druid looks a little bit more straightforward, though. Um, we've got. The Beast deck, we've got the Big deck, and we've got the Kazakasan deck. So, you know, the the stuff that they got in Sunken City looks pretty interesting. And really, along with Core, instead of Ramp, it's a lot more focused on survival tools, from what I can tell. 
Yeah, and swing turns. I think Druid has like four archetypes. One of them didn't make it, but if to the theory crafting, but there's four archetypes that I think can reasonably find success. And you have the Kasakasan Druid, honestly. You look at that deck list, doesn't look so too bad. Hat lots of survivability, lots of removal. It actually has more answers to a turn one trog than it did before. It has Wrath and Living Roots now. Like, and Living Roots is an insane answer to Trog because it costs one mana. So even if you go second and they go first and play Trog, you still have a way to clear it when it was very awkward to do that with Lunar Eclipse. So Kazakhstan Druid is actually going to be better against Trog than it was during this expansion, which sounds a little bit scary. Obviously, the ramp isn't quite there, but the nourish buff really helps. Um, and the the again, the survivability I think is fine. I think Miracle Growth is a really good card for for this class in general. And I think Kazakhstan Druid has a good chance of still being fairly playable. Maybe it's not going to be as explosive with the Kazakhstan, you're not going to have like 15 mana on turn 7 <laughs> and play Kazakhstan and just Moonlit Guidance to whatever. It's like, uh, it's probably not going to happen. And maybe you're forced into the mind build more now because you don't have the the super hard ramp into the Malagos plan and Raid Boss and Ixia is probably going to be less difficult to play to get out of your out of your hand. Uh, because of that that ramp but you know there's con there's also boost to consistency you can play azure drake now you can play aquatic form which is a card that pretty much every druid deck is probably going to play um and flipper friends is also a good survivability tool in the mid game like wild growth into flipper friends is pretty solid um you can wild growth into nourish and bam ramp and you can play kazakas in the next turn this decklist, man, this decklist makes me feel so many feelings. We've got Wrath, Innervate, Wild Growth, and Azure Drake. Oh, yeah. you really can go <laughs> home again. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh but yeah, but there's there's solid survivability tools. I think it can again, dealing with trogs in the early game, it is likely to do that much better. Uh it's not gonna have the insane late game that it did before, but it might it might like it still has guff so it might still uh be competitive uh you look at the water druid i think this deck is really interesting and cool and this deck is probably going to be fairly solid against board centric aggressive decks because you have sea giants coming back and sea giants is honestly such a it's such a huge addition to this core set people really don't think about it as much but it's just massive especially if people if more decks play for board, like the ability to scale of Anixia or Flipper Friends into Sea Giant, like they play about a board, like people are, like you're playing against Druid, you want to flood the board, right? You want to pressure them with as much stats as possible in the early game. And now Druid has this way to swing back in a very dramatic fashion, right? You summon a board full of Rush Minions, develop a Sea Giant and just clear your opponent's stuff it's just such a it's gonna be a big play uh and if water druid is successful it's probably be gonna be thanks to sea giants not necessarily naga giants uh, naga giants is more of like 
Um, we're going to miracle growth at some point and we're going to draw the Naga Giant. We're going to place it and it's going to be more like Handlock with Flesh Giants, but not eight mana Flesh Giants, but more like the 10 mana Flesh Giants, right? They're going to come down a bit later. It's not going to be earlier than turn seven when a Druid hits seven mana. And it's probably going to be more likely to be like when it hits eight mana. Than, than seven. So I think that's a reasonable spot to, to start cheating out zero mana, eight eights. And obviously, you know, you have the stabilization power with earthen scales. Obviously, this deck is not very good against Trog turn one, but maybe this deck doesn't even care giving the opponent Trogs. Like if you give your opponent four Trogs and then you flip her friends, uh, then, you know, thanks for the Sea Giants, bro. Right? So, and it might be okay against Strog better than you think you would think based on the deck list. Um, so that's really interesting. Raid Negotiator, expect that to be the new turn four for uh, the Ramping Druid deck that obviously don't play Kazakasan because that card is going to be really good. It's going to often give you a turn five, and that's that's powerful. A consistent turn five play. Uh, and, and yeah. Druids are going to cheat mana, going to cheat stats. Gardener helps with that. Kelp Keeper helps with that. Looks pretty good. I think this this new deck has a decent shot. It was the... I think I can say it was one of the most, if not the most, fun shell that I played on uh, Theory Crafting. Um, it was... You just, it feels kind of sort of like Handlock, where you just kind of dump a bunch of minions that don't cost enough. But we're, we are a little bit slower, and this format has way less rush in it. Most of the rush is on, a lot of it is on Colossals or other legendaries. There's no broom anymore. So stuff isn't just randomly smashing into each other. So it ends up feeling like you really have to set up these big turns, and Scale of Anixia is a great rush answer that not too many classes have access to. Yeah, I don't think any class has an access that card, that card is so insane, and it's yeah. gonna help Druid. And then you look at, you know, the more aggressive Druid decks. Um, you know, I think obviously Arbor Up is like a massive loss, but I think like when you look at the Beast Druid deck list, like nearly everything that they develop is a beast. So Heart of the Wild can be some sort of replacement. Like it's still a decent card if if you're developing a lot of beasts in terms of leveraging board, and you still have Pride's Fury and Power of the Wild. So I think that deck can also work and also because you can play Flipper Friends and that basically discounts Matriarch by itself and you can play Sea Giant and you can play Oracle Valoon and copy Sea Giant's hat now. Oh, that's gross. It, oh, you can, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though you it is worth actually, noting as well, Aquatic Form is, it does not have great synergy with Matriarch or Sea Giant. It's going to show the base cost, so you got to be careful with that. Yeah, that is true. But if you're, if you're copying 8-8s with your Oracle, you don't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know the deck that I uh, that's not in the report, not not in the theory of crafting article, just because there's no space is like Tondroid. Uh, people are probably trying, um, gonna try Azran Gardens. Oh, build your own and begin sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because if you if you if you play Gardens, then you need to play a, a minion dense deck. You can't do it in Beastroid. Beastroid plays a lot of spells. Uh, you need to be minion based. You need to be minion dense in order to take advantage of of a card like Gardens. But I'm less optimistic about Tondrid being meta compared to Beastrid. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's going to be the exact opposite. But the reasoning is that I think that Tondrid was far more reliant on Arbor Up than Beastrid was, just because 
you don't have other additional buffs to your board. So let's say you're you're making a board. Um, you you need to pre-buff, right? You're reliant on gardens to pre-buff your deck and place a bunch of minions. But if you have a wide board, let's say you're making a wide board, Chandra is going to be far slower to capitalize on that board uh, in order to kill the opponent. Uh, when Beast Droid, I can still see it having that kind of lethality of, okay, you didn't deal with my board, now you die. And for Tondroid, I, I don't see that as much. But it's, it, it might still have a chance. So the fact that we've listed like four potential Druid decks that I think look solid, all of them look pretty solid on the surface, and all of them have a ch- shot to be competitive, I think the class is in a fine spot. Yeah, it's... It's it's none of these look truly incredible, but they all look reliable, like good shots, like they could win games. Pretty good spot for a class to be, and similar to what we've seen before, but not exactly the same. Then we get to Hunter. It's pretty much exactly the same what we've seen before, but with some new cards. That's cool, right? Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, so, um, like, Face Hunter is, is, is gonna run Nagas. You're... You're gonna run Nagas because um, the Terror Coil, the four mana four four that if you've cast a spell while you're holding it, your next spell cast twice. Yeah, the way that works with Piercing Shot, by the way, if anybody doesn't know it, it double casts on the same target. So if you have if you double cast a Piercing Shot on a three three, your opponent takes nine. Yeah, and that that sounds like something that can replace the burst and the reach that Wrangler Trampling Rhino offered you before. Uh, So you're not going to have Rhino, but you're going to have another way to deal a lot of damage post-turn four. And you can do it with Aimshot, obviously. Right? Aimshot is tons of damage, right? Um, With a Terror Coil. And then there's Naga's Pride. Naga's Pride is a card that initially looked at and I wasn't too impressed because I don't think it's going to be that consistent of a play on turn three, but I'm not sure it even needs to be that consistent because, um, you know, if you get it off on turn three, you're going to win a lot of games because Face Hunter doesn't need to do much in terms of board development early in order to do enough chip damage for terror coil to later on take care of business so you're gonna do the same thing kind of the same strategy that you did this expansion where you're playing one drops and you're snowballing them and let me remind you that tunnel truck now has beaming sidekick right and you have decent board control tools like barb shot is great for naga face hunter because it allows it to push face damage and address some minions and take care of the board and be able to dominate early board control. So you're gonna snowball one drops with doggy biscuit with ramping mount, same thing you did before, and you're casting spells and you're gonna play terror coil. And then if you have either aim shot or piercing, then you have so much reach and birth, then you're probably gonna get the job done. And you also have uh, Raj, uh, who's a legendary. You know, it's kind of weird because people are like. I saw, like, on Twitter, when that card was revealed, oh, you're making quest line, lots of wild players mostly, complaining about quest line hunter being too powerful now and getting this huge buff because of this legendary. 
you're only going to play this in Quest Hunter if you're playing the Drek'thar build in Quest Hunter. Like, there is... In Standard, when it comes to Standard, you're not playing that card in, in like, the Multicaster build. Because it's almost like a throw-in. Because it doesn't progress the quest. It doesn't give you a refresh on your hero power. Like, think about... When you play a minion in Quest Hunter... You play a minion in Quest Hunter. Post-quest, you need to start with that card as a minus two. Because if it's not a spell, then you'd get two less damage from it. If it was just a flare, if it was zero mana spell that said nothing, it would be worth two damage. So Raj, post-quest completion, starts with minus two. Now ask yourself whether you can make up for that minus two and make it an actual positive. Considering that you're not even using it to progress your quest early in the game. So early in the game, it's useless because you're not progressing your quest. And late in the game, it starts as a minus two card. So I really think that Raj is being overrated. But where Raj is really good probably is Face Hunter. Because you can slap it on two. And you ask your opponent, can you kill it? Or am I going to ramming mount this and just win the game? That's where I think Raj is really good. The snowball potential is crazy, assuming it sticks. But unlike the unnerfed crab rider that is rolling over standard right now, which has impact right away the turn you play it, Raj does not. He has to say, wait right here, something good's going to happen if I live. And then you have to hope he lives or save him till turn five or something. Or you beaming psychic egg on three. Ooh, that's pretty good. You beam in psyching it on three and ask that question. Or you just draw it later in the game and you combine it with like a name shot and then it's extra three damage. It's not bad. Like, I think that Raj is a, is a, is a good card in face hunter because it doesn't need to do too much. You don't need to go off crazy with it for it to be really dangerous. Um, and it's probably going to win games because it's really good with buffs. And, you know, buffs put more damage. And then... It threatens even more damage and it's harder to kill because it just got buffed. I think it's going to be good in Face Hunter. Also activates Naga's Pride, right? Raj into Naga's Pride or the, the Dream, which is coining Scribe into Naga's Pride is something that is really going to be really good. Uh, so yeah, Face Hunter looks solid. Quest Hunter, again, if you're running Drek'thar, Raj, I think, is a very reasonable third minion to play alongside the... Um, Vipers and you know in the theory crafting I featured both deck lists you're gonna have you're gonna see how both decks are probably gonna look like uh, both the multicaster and the Drek'thar build look solid um, there's Mark Shot which is a new addition we'll see how that work goes it de- really depends on the meta if like there's more minions and people play more for board then Mark Shot is gonna have targets and that's pretty good because you can you proc your quest you generate another spell that could potentially proc the quest it can be worth post quest completion to, to hero powers so that's solid now but the most fun hunter deck hat that I really hope is viable oh, is the big beast archetype I mean, look at this deck list. It Justice looks for so fun. Justice for Ikman. He deserves it. It looks so fun. It yeah. look, look at it. It's so fun. Like, there's, like, you're playing, like, okay. I don't fully believe in this archetype. I think Ajar and Saber, like, you need to draw a harpoon gun. You have to have it on turn three. 
and then you need to play a saber and swing and, and kill it and then swing with the harpoon gun and then you get the sunken saber and you can play it on turn five and maybe do something now pet collector helps that consistency for sure if you're playing pet collector with a zaran saber as the only uh, beast that costs five or less i think that's a really good idea and it's probably going to help the consistency a lot but obviously, I mean, there's a good reason why we're sus of this archetype. It just seems so much fun. And failing, you play failing, you show, you you put a bunch of colossals. Six out of ten colossals are beasts, so you can get it out, get them out with harpoon gun and cheat them out earlier. And colossals are really powerful to to cheat out earlier than than they normally are played. Um, so I think that there is potential here. There's potential in this archetype, and I actually really like the deck list that I, I I ended up on, and I'm hoping it's competitive and good, because if it's not, it's just gonna kind of like hundreds, just gonna be the same, with just slightly different pieces. But don't you want to play this? I mean, look at this. Of it's course, perfect. I want to play. It. And it has longevity. You can like there's selective breeder. Like imagine you're shoving, uh, you're playing failing, and then you're playing breeders and you get copies of the colossals the random colossals uh and, and just play them over and over it just sounds cool it it would be very fun to do this and i do think that candle shot is a really relevant addition to the core set that card was surprisingly good at keeping people alive we have explosive trap we don't know what early games really look like but if your opponent plays the like the fillet fight at the new row one mana three three one and then you candle shot it I took one. Yeah, yeah. You Elven archered my face. No big deal. I will say, I will say that Candleshot was really good back in the day where um, Hunter was all about spring paws and stuff. There were a lot of ways to do I- I- exact damage, and Candleshot would often just be like that last hit. So I don't think that like this kind of decklist is going to be able to control the board super well for Candleshot to be super effective. But yeah, against things like Fillet fighter. Yeah. Yeah. There will be some targets. Uh, so you said when you're against minions and boards, so let's talk about a very board-based class, mage. And normally we'd be memeing here, but no, they actually did it. We have some very minion-heavy mages. Yes, and there's and those minion-heavy mages are still going to be, some of them are still going to be very convolutious. And Siren Naga Mage had... Dark Lair Mage. How cool does this act look? Dark Lair Mage, Stealer of Souls Mage. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this comment of how cool it is is going to bite me because in a few days, everybody everybody's going to complain about this deck. People complain about stuff. Uh, Zach, I've actually played this deck. It is that cool. It is that fun. It is everything that you think it is. The first game of the theory crafting stream I played on turn five, I played seven minions and killed my opponent the next turn. And and I had fun. I had a good time. Okay. So every deck in the theory crafting article that runs school teacher is probably gonna be fun. Because school teacher just seems like a card that's gonna be fun. Like the cute Nagaling, he he you teach him a spell and then he plays that spell. Uh, it's like a double battle cry. It's a very satisfying card to play. And you play it because if you have it or you have uh, Slither Spear, then you can start going off with uh, Naga Siren on turn five, not on turn six. You can do it as early as turn five. 
Now, I will say that unlike Steeler, you cannot go nag on five or six and kill your opponent on the same turn. No, what you're going to do is you're going to build a board. You're going to build a board of Nagas. You might draw a bunch of cards. You might deal some damage to your opponent's board or their face, but you're not going to OTK the opponent. Uh, and the question is, how does this deck win games in slower matchups with removal? Like when the opponent has mass removal. For example, how does this deck beat Kazakhstan Warrior? Uh, I'm not sure, Hat. It's actually might be a challenge uh, for this kind of deck because you don't have that insane lethality. It's not like Steeler. Yeah. You also don't make giant boards like old Cyclone Mage. Like we cut yeah. the giants because they are truly clunky, but that means you can have this crazy pop-off turn and then your opponent's like, all right, shield chatter. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Or brawl. Or just brawl, shield chatter, and what do you do? So... I don't think this deck is going to be like this kind of deck that just... I think this deck is going to be better against sports stuff than high removal stuff. Um, Like if if your opponent has a Reliant on board and you play Naga Siren and you swing back and you kill some of their stuff and you develop a huge board of Nagas, then something like a mech deck or a Murloc deck or some token deck is just going to lose on the spot because it doesn't have mass removal. But if you're playing a slow matchup, then this deck may need to find some some way to solve the puzzle. I'm not going to say it's not going to be able to do it, because if it does do it, then it's probably going to be broken. But it's not intuitive. It's not super easy to figure out, oh, this is how you OTK with this deck. Maybe you need Azara. We thought about this card a lot. Maybe you you include this card in order to get the weapon that that's basically a two-mana Pyroblast and go off from there. And maybe you need Zola, which we also added to... to maybe what you do is you Rainblow Glowscale uh, in a Siren turn and you copy it with Zola and you have three Glowscales on the board. Or maybe you get it off of Amalgam. You generate another one. And you have like plus three spell damage. And you hit your opponent in the face with Ignite and Arcane Orb and kill them that way, right? But the way that this deck wins, mostly it's going to be through dominating the board after that Naga Siren swing turn. And if you have mass removal, then that's actually actual counterplay. Unless there's something that people figure out that gives this deck serious inevitability. Because you keep telling me after the while theorycrafting this deck that you want to add fireballs. And for me, I'm not going to add fireballs in this deck. Maybe it's correct. But that desire for fireball after you played the deck tells me that this deck lacks lethality a little bit. Yeah. Well, and that's been a running theme so far. And mo- I mean, you know, Hunter has some lethality. It's called Steady Shot. Uh, but a lot of the classes we've talked about before, and I think a couple of the ones that are up front as well, there's just, it feels like there's just less damage from hand. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's going from six set to four set. The draw is worse. The damage is worse. Seems like it's mostly about the minions right now. That is pretty typical and seems to be what they're aiming for. And they've generally hit that target. But yeah, it's, I always felt like I wanted fireballs because I wanted to have the pop-off turn. And then even if they could partially deal with what I did, the rest of the stuff would kill them because I didn't feel like I actually was all that favorable going long. It was about the swing turn, and then hope it works. So uh, your yeah. your approach here of with the Ignites and Ajara, you're not going to have 8-8s, but we don't really want or need 8-8s because they, the Naga Giants aren't free because you're not paying for your spells. 
Uh, and yeah. we'd rather have more damage from hand through Ajara and then scaling damage throughout the game from Ignite. So I can totally see this working too. Yeah. Or we, we go full Copium and we put Pyroblast in our deck and we Ajara the Pyroblast or something like that and uh, Ring of Tides uh, it uh, and deal 20. <laughs> this is a bit... That's a bit much even for this me. This is Copium from the Discord. Yeah. Huh? This is Copium from the uh, Discord. Extremely Copium. But there's another minion-based mech strategy. This one even more minion-dense. Uh, it's Mech Mage. Uh, yeah, Mech Mage um, looks cool. Yes, it's an aggressive deck. It's a mech deck. But it's kind of also not because you can you can stack your hand with mechs and discount them with gateway and then go off with mecha shark and yep. kind of pretend you're a combo deck. And um, mecha shark says summoned, not played. Very important. Yes. So like with yeah. Sea Scout Operator, which is not naturally a mech, but summons two two one mechs, it procs uh shark a couple times, and it, you can end up just making mechs some other way, and then you just end up with this pile of missiles that's really fun. Yeah. So this so this deck, while you can play like turn one, turn two, develop, you still have the ability to to go off on a big swing turn, which I really like. Um you want to stack your deck with as many mechs as possible. And you potentially just want to play Gateway as your only spell and tutor it with uh, Dungeoneer so you consistently get it on time to go off with uh, Mecha Shark. And see, like, Seafloor Gateway is the kind of card that can make eight mana cards a lot better. So Gaia is a lot better in the context that it can cost seven. And even I even put Goliath in the deck because if you're like if the meta has more board and let's say you need to deal with like naga turns or something like that <laughs> or like remnants of nagas or or some mechs that your opponent played or some burlocks that you need to kill then goliath might be really good especially if it costs 7 but alternatively we also uh suggested the deck 2 de- uh, the day 2 deck list where you just put trogs but i i don't know i don't know if you actually are going to throw trogs in every deck cuz there's actually the potential hat that if everybody's just playing more minions and there's and less removal and even their removal it feels like classes actually have more ways to deal with turn 1 trog these days then maybe trog is not going to be as insane or maybe Trog should be nerfed after two weeks into this expansion. There's, uh, I can see it going uh, both ways. But uh, yeah, Mech Mage looks cool. Uh, I think people are underrating Ini a bit. A bit. Uh, Ini is powerful. I mean, 5 and a 4-4. Four, four. Copy uh, a Mech and give it Divine Shield and Wind Fury. You can think about, let's say, you copy a Gorilla Bot. And you say, what's the big deal, right? It's six rush damage. It's six guaranteed rush damage because it's one fearing divine shield. So you have two swings. So you can compare her to, for example, Faceless Corruptor. I, I don't think she she compares pretty favorably to that. Uh, so I think any actually has potential. Pretty good potential. It's every time that she was played in a in a mech mirror mage that I interacted in, the player who who played her won the game. Uh, she works really well with security automaton, the scaling, growing mech because yeah. it triggers the first. Which one. I think people are sleeping on that card. 
That card is awesome. Because I think people are looking at that card and they're saying, oh, it's a two-mana Undertaker. Why is that good, right? We know Undertaker, so this is twice the cost of Undertaker. This, that, that doesn't mean it's not good enough. That doesn't mean it's not threatening enough. Like, you play that on two and you play uh, Scout, Sea Scout Operator on three, and you double buff it, and you can, it can just snowball. And especially with a card like Gateway, where you can just Mecha Shark, Automaton, go, right? You devastate your opponent board and while buffing this threat. And, like, maybe next turn you in it, and yeah, you can go from there. Uh, also, Mothership is a card that I really, really like. I think Mothership is so good that it might see play in decks that are not mech decks. Yeah. It's like, it's really sticky. It's really sticky. It's a lot of stats, and it's immediate impact on the board. It's five damage on rush. It's not bad. And most of the mechs are good. Most of the mechs that you're going to summon are good from the death battle. Yeah, it's just kind of high main with rush, and uh, I've been waiting for high main to have rush for years. Yes, and not, 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 let's talk about ha- um, your favorite mechanic, which is freeze. <laughs> yeah, Blizzard is back. Which means that you can freeze six times a, a, a game now with Wildfire Mage or any kind of deck that runs Dawn Grasp and Little Dawn Grasp, a lot of stalling. And we have a deck list, obviously, that tries to abuse that as hard as possible and tries to cheat out the Blizzard earlier so you can uh, pair it on curve. And you play Mailbox Dancer, and Mailbox Dancer can cheat out Blizzard, but also you can brand Mordrish now. I think like there are a lot of combos with brand that you can do in the format right now that need that one extra mana, and then people look at Mailbox Dancer <laughs> just to get a coin in order to be able to accomplish that. Or Escaped Mana Saber. You can do any of either of those. You can do Escape Mana Saber. I I, pref- I think Mailbox Dancer, especially if you have other reasons to run it, is going to be better because you don't need to pre-play it un- before you do the combo. Like, think about how weird, like, Mana Saber, you need to pre-play it a turn earlier. Mailbox Dancer, you can play it throughout the game. It costs two mana, and you have the coin. You just need to save the coin. That's it. I think it's, I think it's easier to execute. But yeah, Wildfire, I think, might have a chance just because Blizzard freezing the board six times. Like, think about that. If you're playing like against, like, if board-based gameplay, if there are a lot of decks that run minions and rely on minions to win, even something like Naga Mage. Right? If you freeze their board six times, if you blizzard them six times a game, um, is it going to win? I think it's going to be hard for it to win. Uh, so yeah, there's a shot there. I think blizzard being added to the core set is huge. As well as Doomsayer. Right? Might as well run Doomsayer if you're running blizzard. Uh, so major, major think is going to be strong. It's got, it's Just got real that. options and you got to have a bunch of different ways to win with minions in mage. Can I say it's about damn time? Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be very different from the mage decks that you've seen. Like maybe the only thing that's going to be kind of the same is that mage is going to cheat like 20 mana. Uh but it's going to do that through minions now 
and it's going to be reliant on board now more to win games. Yeah, it's in another mech class is Paladin. Um, and Paladin kind of got secret passage for mechs, kind of, kinda but not really. The, the, but not the really. Book of Mectors. Book of Mectors is a good uh, is a good way to describe it. Uh, rated detector is great, but I think people like I've seen a lot of theorycrafted builds of people um, making a mech paladin deck, and I think they didn't do enough math. Like, if you want rated detector to be, I think rated detector is not as powerful as it is once you get to the deck building phase, and you realize that you need to build like you need to have two thirds of your deck be mechs for that to draw three consistently or a little over three you need to have like the deck list that we have in the theory crafting has 19 mechs and that means it's going to draw over three cards on average a little over three cards 3.2 something like that and if you draw if you if you put like 13 mechs in your deck like rated detector is not going to be good and definitely not worth building around that aggressively yeah, it turns into a spectral site, and sometimes it's not outcast. Yeah, that's not that's not what you want. Uh, what you want is you draw as many mechs as possible. And since you have so much of that draw, if you maximize it, then hand buffing becomes more powerful. And mechs have a lot of divine shield, so maybe you just play jewel kit and do hand buffing. I I I saw a lot of ideas on how to build mech paladin, like bridge. You can play bridge, right? And buff them on board. Uh, though I, I don't really like bridge just because I think bridge is very reliant on you having things like stand in the darkness, right? Where you summon a billion stuff for very little mana. Here, you, you don't have mech warper. Let's say you play bridge on four. What do you what are you playing the next turn? Two bodies, two mechs, right? You're not gonna play more than two mechs. Yeah. I tried with bridge and it just kind of sits there. It just I dredged into a couple of them once, and then I drew my radar detectors like, well, this sucks. Yeah, it's just not, like, I don't think Bridge is going to be good for, for Mech Paladin, but maybe I'm wrong, but it just doesn't seem that realistic to bridge on four and play a bunch of mechs. So what do you, like, you put, spend four mana on two two buffs on two minions? That That's not game winning. But yeah, Stonehearth Vindicator, you play radar detector as the only spell. You very consistently gonna have rated detector. You're gonna have a lot of mechs. You're gonna be able to buff them a lot. The question is, you're like you're entirely board uh, reliant. All your damage is through the board. You have no burst whatsoever. Is that good enough in the upcoming format? In this format, it, we know it wasn't good enough. It wouldn't be good enough. But maybe in the upcoming format, it will be good enough. We'll see. Maybe you run Battlemaster in this deck just to be able to to leverage those buff stats and just kill your opponent that way i don't know well but we'll figure it out um yeah so would the uh, the other major theme that paladin got is basically build around garden's grace big holy just a big holy yeah it's really good i think that card is really good you can play it you can play a buff paladin deck and just discount it. Like, Katori is a card that I don't have much faith in right now. I think it's going to get better over time. But 
who knows? Maybe Katori Garden's Grace is just the nuts. It's just gonna be the thing that you do. You just you play Immortalize in Stone, and then you can play a, a Katori in another minion, and you Garden's Grace, and you get double the value. Um, in any case, I think I expect that Paladin will heavily try to invest into a Garden's Grace build where you play Immortalize in Stone, whether you play proactively or whether you use it as an OTK piece. And, you know, the, the smite build, uh, the gray smite build, the OTK um, Holy Paladin defensive deck with two mana equality and Pyromancer being back. And you also have city tax to combo with equality if you want to. And you have Acolyte of Pain and it feels like, like a Paladin of yesteryears. And you play, so, so here's the idea I had. Why is Diver, why is Gangplank Diver better than Faceless? The reason is you're playing Righteous Defender. And if you have two copies of Diver, they're more likely to soak these buffs. So even though in theory, let's say you play Smite, Diver, Diver. Let's say you play two Divers on turn 10, right? And then you Smite them next turn and chart them up. If you play two Gardens Graces, then it's eight, it's 28 damage, right? But there, like I guarantee you that either the divers or the smite or both are gonna be buffed over the course oh, of the they game. Because they soak up the righteous defense. I forgot about this card. The you target a minion, you shrink it to a one one, you take its stats and you boop it into something in your hand. Yeah, yeah. There's righteous defense, there's bannerman, there's light forge carrial. Like you can hit buffed on light forge carrial. If you buff faceless manipulator, it doesn't help you, it does nothing. It just wasted buff. But if you buff divers, it's it counts. So yeah. I pretty much guarantee that if you play that combo, some of those pieces are going to be buffed and it's essentially going to be an OTK and probably over that, over the 30. Um, is that good enough? I don't know. It's uh, negated by taunts. Uh, it's You basically have one shot, you play the divers, and you're basically telling your opponent it smite is coming down the next turn. So if they put taunts up, then you cannot OTK anymore. Uh so it's not gonna be easy to execute and I'm not sure whether it's gonna be viable. It's just an option. It's like a it's like a Galvanger uh warrior, but with extra steps. I mean it looks fun. It looks goofy. I'm probably going to lean into the, the regular buff list because it, we just curve out with Drogs and But Kill. I will say that it doesn't need the OTK to win most matchups, especially yeah. if, like, if, like in, in most matchups against, like, the theorycrafted builds, you don't need the OTK. Like, you can just play Diver on five and just trade and remove things. Uh, and you're going to win often by playing Immortalize and Stone and buff the statues with Garden's Grace when they're discounted. Like, that's going to lock up a lot of games. So you're not, like, one-dimensional in the sense where if you can't OTK, you can't win. It's not true. So I think the deck is fine. Paladin looks... I mean, Paladin still looks pretty Paladin-y, but there are no Librams in these decks, and that's pretty refreshing. I mean, I'm excited about the core changes for Paladin. You know who else got some exciting core changes, Zach? Yeah, yeah. We gonna we we ready? Is it priest o'clock? 
Are we ready to talk yeah, about the yeah. class with the best draw and standard priest? Huh? Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Lyra, everybody loses their minds. Oh my god, Radiant Elemental, Lyra, Cleric, they're all back. And then you, oh, Blessed Priest is gonna be nuts. And then you build Handmaiden, right? And then you start trying to build the deck. And for days, I was like asking myself, how the hell does this deck actually win? Yeah. This is, like, the, this is the poster child example of you can win turns, but not games. Yeah. So the thing about Priest is that it has this really powerful draw engine. So powerful that you don't need to utilize all of it in order to have still be able to draw your deck very, very quickly. Um, you know, between Cleric and Pyromancer and Acolyte of Pain, that's already good enough. You don't even need Handmaiden. Like, I, I'm not even sure Blessed Priest is going to play Handmaiden because I, I'm not sure it's going to be able to comfortably activate Handmaiden consistently in a way that's reasonable. I, I, there's there's some difficulty or there's some clash because Handmaiden require, wants you to put, run a lot of spells. But if you're running a lot of spells, then that means you're not running a lot of threats that you can put Bless on. Then if you're not putting... You, you don't have threats to put Bless on, then well, how do you win? Yeah, you can draw and get to fatigue and die uh, from fatigue. But how do you actually win? Now, maybe that's going to sound funny in like a week or two because maybe somebody figures out a way to make Handmaiden a draw engine from some combo deck with inevitability. But I will say that based on everything that I've seen so far pre-expansion, it's actually going to be fairly difficult for a deck with like Valish and Handmaiden to actually kill the opponent. Because when it comes to inevitability and lethality, Priest is lacking a bit in that department. And then I saw an idea uh, from Aqua in the Discord of like, okay, let's forget about the Handmaidens. Let's forget about the Volition stuff and just focus on Cleric, Pyro, Acolyte and run good targets for a power infusion like, oh, run a bunch boy. of three drops, you run well Bonker, you run Treasure Guard, you run High Health three drops, you run Drek'thar, because if you play Drek'thar, then it's likely that you're gonna be able to stick something for a buff. And you play Power Infusion. And Power Infusion is a card that can lock up some game. You play Power Infusion, you put a minion out of removal's reach, you put Bless on it the next turn, and you kind of kill your opponent. You have Injured Tolvir, you play Injured Tolvir, you start healing it, you start buffing it, you have Cleric, um, you have Cobalt Taskmaster Hat, you it, put it, a bunch of health buffs on it. This is Combo bless Priest. It. It's Combo Priest. Yeah. It, this is Savers of Uldum. This is Savers of Uldum, Combo Priest without the Light Warden. We have to work a lot harder at Divine Spirits because they learned how to, That's the how to cost exponential damage scaling even when it's supposed to be health scaling they learned hey we're gonna make you work for that a little bit harder and they learned not to make the inner fire part a little bit it's, a lot okay, a lot of it and they learned how to make the inner fire not one mana or zero mana instead it's two mana and they throw in a couple health you know yeah but there is radiant elemental yeah there's radiant elemental sure. that's gonna help a little bit in terms of discount but it's it's temporary it's not permanent obviously but this is combo priest yeah 
I'm gonna jam this. Like it's it's just it's minions with big butts and card draw, and sometimes they clear your board and then you build another one. Sometimes they clear your board a few times, then you lose the game, and sometimes they don't clear your board and then you kill them. Yeah, this deck though, like if if Divine Spirit was in the format, then I would say this is probably gonna be the best deck in the game. But Divine Spirit is not in the format, and that makes a huge difference. What's up, wild players? We see you. Enjoy your crab riders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gonna make it's gonna be far more difficult to finish deck games. Like I'm thinking about think about this deck's matchup against Control Warrior. Yeah. Try playing this deck against Control Warrior. It's con- if Control Warrior is really good, it has one mana executes and shield slams. Ugh. How the hell are you gonna beat the Warrior with this deck? I'm not sure. There's no actual inevitability. It's just going to remove every minion you play, and you're just going to die. So I think Priest might be a little bit overhyped in the sense of the Blast build, at least. Might be a little bit overhyped. Maybe I'm going to sound stupid again. We could too. Who knows? Nobody knows anything, but I think there's a lethality. There's an absence of super high lethality in Priest. And even though it can draw cards, these cards don't really kill the opponent that that very effectively and that might be an issue i'll I'll even go so far to say it an intended absence of lethality because the core yes. set is a bunch of great mid-game power tools and draw cards for priests and nothing that actually kills the opponent and i think that they are very clever at what they did here make people freak out about the tools but not give priest a way to close games from hand yeah uh, not even from hand. You can have like a minion, but if if you can divine spirit it to to an OTK your opponent with blast, then that's that still is a very powerful thing that I would be confident would be top tier. But this is a situation where you don't actually like. Even if you buff your minion once, that's still not going to finish the opponent in 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 a single turn. You need multiple turns sometimes to be able to do that. Now in board based matchups. That might be enough, right? But if you're playing against Control Warrior, like if that deck is good, uh, I think that kind of deck is going to struggle. Now, Silence Priest got... I, I would say this. If Silence Priest, if I was actually confident in Silence Priest being good, a lot of these cards would get higher scores in the card preview. I'm just... Look at the deck list. I'm not sure this deck is going to be competitive. But if you look at the cards at standalone card you look at what they do whispers of the deep is so dumb <laughs> it's, it's like it's so if powerful. you land that on a four mana seven seven then just like good luck with your what? board buddy that's so good like these cards are individually seem so good but the deck i'm not sure about but it's probably going to be fun and you can play and in, in fact this deck i think has like easier way to finish games if it manages to stick threats, because you can just play Battle Master, because you have multiple bodies. Uh, because of Ritual, it's very easy for you to have multiple 7-7s seven on the board. And then you just Battle Master and GG, right? Uh, uh, while Blessed Priest needs to have like one minion stick and continuously buff this one minion. You can't really run Battle Master. You can't even run Lyra. I think Lyra is probably not going to be good enough, especially when Drekthorn is in the format, and Drekthorn is far more valuable. You're breaking for that my heart. Archetype, unfortunately, You're breaking my heart. I mean, I mean, yeah, because you need Drekthor. You need to have multiple bodies. Like, imagine you play Drekthor and you summon a Bonker and a Treasure Guard. 
If they don't deal with it, then you power infusion, you power word fortitude, and you go from there. It, I mean, it's, it, you're making the argument that Drek'thar is a good card. I believe you, Zach. Just, yeah, I yeah. like Lyra. It's fun. But also, if you're playing Lyra, you need to have pre-spells that you want to generate, and that's um, not most of them. Yeah. Now, as for slower uh, pre-stacks... Wait, wait, it's control decks? Yeah, yeah. Slower priests that control priests. Um, what I do notice is that removal isn't great. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, I was talking in the Discord and we were talking about Reno Quest Priest. Oh, boy. And, I mean, it's a great idea in theory, Hat, because all you need to do is just play cards of a mana cost and you have Reno to bail you out and you're going to win eventually. Because you're just going to play your curve, and, and that's enough for Quest Priest to win. So maybe Arena Quest Priest uh, is, is going to be good. Then and you then start you trying to build the deck. it. And then you realize that it is the four settiest looking deck of all time. I mean, it's, is it even a four set deck, or is it an Arena draft? The, the, the cards aren't there, they're straight up just not there. I mean, I don't know. I'll be surprised if that deck is, is anywhere near close to, to, to being a thing. But Kazakhstan Priest, I think, looks good. You look at Kazakhstan Priest, and let me tell you something about Kazakhstan. It looks consistent. Um, Horn of Rathian or Switcheroo on three. You have Morazan and Kazakhstan. You can Switcheroo either one with one of your mid-game dragons and just randomly play an 8-8 on turn 4 or 8. Imagine you're playing against an aggressive deck. You switch around 3. You get Nether Drake Kazakhstan. You have an 8-8 Nether Drake. You drop it next turn. You win the game. Good luck. Uh, there is some cheese potential in this deck. But this deck doesn't have the removal tools that Warrior has. So it needs to play more for the board. But Operative is back and Operative is a powerful card. And in like in a Kazakhstan mirror, like just trying to imagine a Kazakhstan mirror of this deck against Control Warrior with Kazakhstan, I can see Operative doing work. Um, I think this deck looks decent, huh? Light Bomb helps uh, in terms of like making up for a Soul Mirror because essentially it's a similar effect and you have two Light Bombs now. So maybe things are not so bad. I think Kazakhstan Priest has the shot. This deck looks pretty decent. looks pretty... Looks like a duck. It doesn't look like a quest priest. No, it looks playable. It looks playable. We'll yeah. see. I kind of want to play it. Kind of. Okay. You All really right. do? I'm surprised. Um, you don't strike me as a control priest player, huh? You don't this, strike me okay. as a control priest. This is not. This is not attrition control. This is playing beefy dudes and swing cards until you get to play your fun treasures. This is not... I, w I didn't like Baron's Priest. This is not Baron's Priest. This is slowing the game no, down until I get to do my thing. So, No, this actually kills opponents. This actually kills opponents. Yeah, this actually or at least it tries opponents. to. Speaking of things that kill opponents, it's rogue time. Oh, man. The rogue set is so good. <laughs> it's crazy. It's really, really good. The average card quality is very, very high. Can you explain to me why Swordfish deals 12 damage for nope, 3 mana? Nope, I can't. 
It's, this car has three durability for absolutely no damn reason. I cannot figure it out. I've tried. It reminds me of pre-nerf Aldraki Warblades where you just can't commit anything to the board when they play it. And if you try and get out of the way, then they just hit you in the face instead and you die. I, it's This is... I, I just don't understand why it has so many numbers on it. It just has... Three durability is ridiculous. Okay. So... You know, I was trying to figure out, it was actually hard to build rogue decks that are not pirates because I think that other rogue decks didn't get much support. Like this deck, this this expansion set is very similar to like, even more so than the Shaman set in Altaric Valley where they just pushed the freeze package of freezing and free Shaman. Yeah. And here they're just pushing this the, the pirate theme. In, in Sunken City, most classes got cards, rogue got a deck. Yeah, yeah. Rogue, like, may have gotten two decks. I'm not sure because, you know, there's two approaches, I think, for for Pirate War. One approach is you're playing Took Tusk. This is the fun approach. This is the real day one approach where you're playing, like, High Curve. You're playing Krabatoa. Krabatoa is a really good card, by the way. Any Rogue deck that wants to go late is going to want to run Krabatoa. And you're playing Sunken Ears, and they're, like, your Vile Spine Slayers. They're really good removal options. And you, you, you play in your early curve and you can cheat out vessels and stuff, but you're taking your time. And you get to Hook Tusk and you're a matchup against slower decks, including something like Kazakistan Warrior, I think is going to be really good for this, for this kind of build. Uh, I think this build, like the Hook Tusk Pyro, I think is going to be really good for versus decks that just want to try and survive. It has good, it has decent card draw, has decent threats. And Hooked Us is a hell of a card in the slower matchups. Like, superb card in those. Like, if they give you time, you can just hook us in Shadow Step. Like, what are they going to do? Right? They're not going to, if like, if they're not going to kill you. So, Hooked Us can be gross. I was trying to play Kazakasan Priest deck during theory crafting, and Cantaloupe Hooked Us my duels treasures. I played Kazakasan. Yeah. He took yeah, five that's of my exactly treasures. the thing. Hooked Us is really good against Kazakhstan because what you do is you wait until they play Kazakhstan and then you hooked us the treasures uh which is it's almost like a hard counter it's not a hard counter but it's like they still have Kazakhstan on board if you don't deal it with it maybe they can kill you with a Kazakhstan or something like that but it's pretty good hooked us is pretty good in the slower matchup it felt pretty hard to me so it felt like a pretty pretty strong yeah. counter yeah yeah so hooked us Definitely has potential in the slower matchups. But so this is the thing, Zach. You said this is the day one strategy. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. My day one strategy, hit him in the face. That's how I win on okay. day one. That's what because I want to do. You, because you like playing one drops. So there is another way to build Pyro Org. And I'm, I think it's probably going to be superior. And I think in a mirror matchup, it's probably going to kill the Hook to Scrog. Uh, and that's playing the aggro build. And I build this deck pretty late. And I, I got to the per, the 30, the list of 30. And I said, yeah, this is going to get nerfed. Because who cares about Hook Tusk when Swordfish deals 12 damage for 3 mana? They're going to die before you even get to play Hook Tusk. Now, honestly, you can even play Hook Tusk in the aggro build just to tack for the slower matchup. It's probably going to be a little bit baity. That seems a little bit baity because you don't have, like, you're not built to last into the late game. So throwing in an 8 8, 8 mana 8 8 that does nothing in the faster matchups sounds a little sus. 
But look at this deck hand. Look oh, at I'm this looking. Deck. I'm looking right now. 26 cards that cost three or less. 26. Yeah. This is a deck that plays Cutlass on one just because it's such a Chad deck. You play Cutlass on one and Raider on two and Puffer Fist or Career on three and go. And you can cheat so you can cheat stats with Vessel. You have further dredge consistency. Like even Edwin is a decent card and late in their game for it. I think this deck is brutally efficient. And people are going to complain about Unreaded almost immediately. They're going to complain about Smite Filet. The old Smite Filet. Because that's a seven-mana Power Blast. Seven-mana Power Blast. I'm surprised you don't have Shadow Step in this list because that's seven-mana for, for 14 damage. Well, probably because Shadow Step is, par- is pretty useless against uh, with most of the other cards in this deck if you look yeah. at them. Like, I kind of I follow it. It's really... And if you're only playing Shadow Step after you can play Smite in another pirate, that's not worth it. But no. man, it's a lot of damage. Yeah, but Shadow Step does not... Like, I think, like, if you're looking at the Thief Rogue that I've built, you do see the Shadow Step synergy with Filet and Smite. Oh, the uh, Thief Rogue. Definitely... Okay, I'm looking at this list too. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying that for this deck, Shadow Step is probably going to be too dead of a card. For the aggro pirate, but but you're just flying the board, and you can even play South Sea Captain, and just you're playing one, two, three, go South Sea Captain or Vessel. You have Stealth Pirate, and you can just South Sea Captain and buff them. So I think this deck is going to be good. It looks good, looks very consistent, uh, and because Swordfish did deal so much damage, it's probably going to get the job done. Um, so that deck, if you want to ruin everyone else's fun, then you probably play the aggro pirate list. Uh, yeah. uh, but let's talk about Th- Thief Rogue. Thief Rogue, Filet, Fighter is there with Shadow Step and Smite. That's definitely a threatening um, burst option that you now have. Uh, there's Krabatoa, obviously. Thief Rogue would love Krabatoa. You swap Swindle for Shroud, I think. If you're running prep, if you want to run prep um, in pretty much every deck that wants draw, for example, even in the Hooktus build, then I can see Shroud being a good card there uh, as sort of a worse replacement for Swindle. But Thiefrog looks pretty good. Uh, Honestly, this deck looks fine. I think it loses some double agent consistency later in the game because of no Wand Thief. Uh, obviously, its drawing power is worse, but you know every other deck gets worse, so maybe Thief Rogue uh, can be viable, hopefully, because this deck is fun. You want to hear my fun favorite part about Thief Rogue now? My favorite part? What? The recon yeah. pool shrinks. The thing that I want to do that will end up in a Trollden video, don't know if it's for me or someone else, Gigafin Shadow Step. Let's go. Oh, that sounds really gross. That sounds it's, really gross. It just a six yeah. man another with a four seven taunt thrown in, and I can run it back whenever I feel like it. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't know how big the pool is, but I know that there is a gigafin in the pool, and I would like to see how deep that pool is. Yeah, and you know, there's some other like there's a draft that didn't uh, make it to this theory crafting because it was a little too gimmicky, where you play trickster, which is a card. 
even though it's not present in these decklists, I expect to see end up being very powerful at some point in the future. I'm pretty sure of it. And it might break wild in the first week. <laughs> Uh, but Trickster, Smokescreen, and tons of Death Rattles, and you can play Graveyard bef- uh, um, a turn before set it up, and just, yeah, like, it's gimmicky, right? Turn four, Trickster, Smokescreen, let's go, you summon, like, uh, Cairn, Death Rattle, and Korok, and all that nonsense, and uh, that might might be some gimmicky deck, but honestly, the Death Rattle pool, I think, honestly, Death Rattle Rogue would be really good if there was, like, a mechanical whelp. If there was a good Death Rattle? You think Death Rattle Rogue could be good if there was a good Death Rattle? Yeah, Talking yeah. crazy, Zach. Crazy stuff. It's, I do think you're onto something there. When I was streaming, someone in my chat joked, uh, four mana, two, two, battle cry, limit Rogue's design space for two years. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that is definitely Trickster. Uh, <laughs> that is the kind of card that can be quite dangerous, but I'm not sure it's going to make an immediate impact in standard at the very least. But in wild, I can see it being very gross. There's some like death battle rogue in wild. Like there's the big death battle deck with illusionist. I think there might be some noise there with trickster and smoke screen happening, but we'll see. I'm just assuming that at wild's current card size, that it's going to break every single expansion and it's going to be really fun to watch. And I'm, I'm all set on playing it right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, rogue, pretty much pirates. Play yep. pirates. There's some other stuff. Uh like quest rogue might still be fine. Maybe you play trickster sprint and quest rogue. I don't know. But it, it looks okay. It might look okay. I didn't put it in the theory crafting because it's just an old deck that doesn't have too many exciting new things. So I uh, might as well focus on the pirates because they uh, they promoted it so hard, pushed it so hard. Shaman. Shaman got Coral Keeper. Coral Keeper is a really good card. It's going to be in most Shaman decks. Uh, and it just further pushes you into like multicaster direction. Uh, but the problem with Shaman, I think it it's not the same problem that Priest has, not the same extent, but there is a bit of an issue with Shaman in terms of closing games. There's no Yasharaj anymore, no Boulder OTK. Quest Shaman is dead. Uh, there's no shot, no bloom, no, it's just not, not a thing. Uh, and a lot of the burn package with bloom is gone. So you can't actually kill your opponent. It's not easy. Let's say this. It's not easy to kill your opponent with burn as Shaman anymore because of the lack of lightning bloom. Um, so Shaman will need to figure out how to win. And there's two ways that I built late game shaman strategies to win in, in the late game. One is the bloodless approach. Bloodless is back. That's a big deal. Uh, and where you, you just play Coral Keeper and Macaw the Coral Keeper. And maybe you play Glug and you flood the board over and over. And you still play Caverns so you can keep having th- threats that go wide. And if they don't deal with it for one turn, you can bloodless them. And if it's a really slow matchup where they run a lot of removal, you can Ajara and get Ring of Tides and like three minions and enough, like you just double bloodlust them. And that's one thing that you can do. That's the lethality approach. And then the other approach had, you, you said you don't like Baron's Priest as much, but 
Look at look at the control shaman. <laughs> Are you not gonna play it? Look how fun this is. This is so oh, much man. fun. You can generate value. You generate so much value that I think that multicaster is not even an option for this deck because your hand is going to be constantly full. Look at how much value this deck has. You can run cards forever. And maybe if there's no OTKs, then this is what you do as Shaman. You just generate value forever. Just Literally the old forever. Ranajara into Double Horn into Kragwa. It's just yeah, it's just it's just so much stuff that this you can is the generate new Baron's with this deck. Priest. This absolutely is. You just make crap forever. It's like Haggis the Hero. Forever. Like like think just you don't even need to work hard for it. You play a genre scroll, you geyser it. You play the sunken scroll, and then you Kragwa the next turn and get the sunken scroll back, and you macaw the Kragwa, and you get another sunken scroll. Oh my gosh. You like, this look is, at this. this. This is a Reddit comment section dream of just the volume of, of attrition nonsense that you do with no intention of ending the game. It's just generation upon generation, and it seems a lot of fun, and I'm probably going to play it uh, because it has school teacher in it too. So <laughs> if there's a deck with school teacher and school teacher makes sense, I want to play it uh, because that card is such a good design. Um, but yeah, it, it, like just generate forever, and you still run Coral Keeper, right? Because it's just good for for the board and Snowfall for for obvious reasons. And you can even like if they give you time, you can just mutinous their whole deck, um, <laughs> which is kind of your counterplay if there are some decks with OTK pieces that you need to be able to address. Uh, but yeah, the Control Shaman seems really fun. If there's no OTKs and high lethality, then I think this deck can work uh, quite well. Yep. But Zach, remember how slightly earlier in this podcast that you said that I like to play one drops? Well, what if that's yeah. still true one class later? What if every one drop that you played had got a buff? False. Every one drop that I summon, that I summon, which summon, means it includes right. Iron Deep Trog copies or my hero power totems or what my spawn pool forger spits out. Anchor Totem Iron Deep Trog is actually disgusting. Imagine you play Iron Deep Trog, like after Anchor Totem, and you like beaming Psychic. What the hell does your opponent uh, do? Wait, that's a three-three and another three-three. Then every spell that doesn't kill the Trog makes another three-three. That's a lot Absolutely of three disgusting. Yeah, that's a lot. So okay, obviously Bloodless is back. And even though Blossos can potentially be part of a slower deck, it's a little bit sketchy, not going to lie. The multi-loss build does have that flaw. In an aggressive build, Bloodless makes a lot of sense, especially when you can still run Nothing Can Stop Us. And you can play Gorlock Ravager. So the thing is, you can play an aggressive Shaman deck that's not Morlocks. The problem is lack of draw, lack of snowballing outside of Bloodless, right? Uh, you have the Anchor Totem, but you can do that in Murloc too. So I think the Murloc Tribe and Shaman has a good chance to be a viable aggressive deck because it works well with Anchor Totem, because you have nothing to, can stop us and Bloodlust, and most importantly, Gorlock Ravager is so much reload. 5 mana, 4, 3, draw 3 Murlocs is actually insane. I love this card. This is one of my favorite cards in the set just because 
it addresses a huge issue with the Murloc tribe, which is that whenever you build, we've built Murloc decks in the past, we just had no draw. And whenever our opponents just dealt with the threats that we developed and drew at that point, once we ran out of cards, the game was over. Just feels, feels bad. And now Ravager addresses that. So I love that. Uh, a lot of the cards, right? The Murloc Shaman cards were given to Murloc uh, Shaman back in Forge and Abarrens. So they still exist. There's still the support. Spawn Pool Forager, perfect one, one drop for this deck. Now it also has schooling. So schooling anchor totem is a is a is is an interesting combo. Uh, yeah, I think Murloc Shaman looks quite good. But again, this deck, I think more than any deck, absolutely disgusting with beaming sidekick. And I don't know if it's the most disgusting trog deck, but it is the most disgusting beaming sidekick deck. Because if you beaming sidekick and anchor totem, I don't know what happens. To the opponent. It's not good. I mean, I I don't think that the game will go too much longer. One way yeah, or another. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Shaman. Shaman looking 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 interesting. I think Shaman is gonna be an interesting class. I'm looking forward to seeing if control shaman is gonna be viable. I mean, I, I feel I feel pretty confident that Snowfall Guardian will still be good. It's interesting though, the yeah. decks that we're looking at so far, it doesn't seem like they get hard locked out by the freezes. Like, I don't feel like that Snowfall Guardian is going to completely dominate this format, but it's still likely going to be... I don't know. Popular. I mean, against Naga Mage, think about that. Snowfall Guardian yeah. seems pretty good to me. I mean, it's, um, I'm not saying it's bad, and I'm still going to be frustrated by it. And like you said, Freeze is my favorite mechanic. Ugh. Yeah. I think Snowfall Guardian is still going to be... Uh, probably going to be better in this format, honestly. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Warlock. So Warlock, Warlock is a little bit weird. Warlock is like, you know, I've heard rumblings that Curse Warlock actually looked pretty decent in the theory crafting, and you can do things like Brand Zola, the the Cultist, and there's actual inevitability. And yes, Curl, Curse Warlock can actually OTK. There are some requirements that you need to accomplish before you can OTK, but the OTK is not too difficult. It requires three cards after some setup. This is a bit copium. Sounds a little bit copium to me. At least in theorycrafting streams, apparently it looked okay. But again, in theorycrafting streams, you remember what the good deck, the best deck in theorycrafting streams was uh, back in Ashes of Outland? Because I remember it was Firebats, Highlander, Demon Hunter. You remember that deck? I People do. kept playing that deck. People kept playing that deck for three months. The same list from Firebats. And they couldn't let it go. It was terrible. I mean, in Ashes, you just you you could just play a bunch of Demon Hunter cards, and you did fine. Um, but yeah, I that mean, is true. Theory crafting isn't the be all end all. But I will say, in my in my very very small sample size of one game with this deck, I expected it to be a meme that felt like Ticketus Warlock, and instead, I killed my opponent from twenty six over two turns like Bomb Warrior, and that did make me sit up in my chair a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure this deck got nerfed in development. Cora has said as such in Twitch streams, like she specifically said it was, oh, yeah? it was too good. Like it was really, really good and it was not a fun experience. Yeah. So, it, okay. So here's the thing. If it got nerfed, then there's probably something here, but if they nerfed it to the point, like if they decide that this is not fun, then maybe they just 
nerfed it to the point where they know that it's not going to be good or played much. Um, so we'll see what happens. Like, it, it definitely has inevitability, which is something that a lot of classes lack. If you give Abyssal Warlock time to do whatever it wants to do, it will do well. Uh, but it does have some obvious issues. For example, you can't actually OTK your opponent if their hand is has nine cards. He, like, let's say you're playing a control matchup, and uh, let's say I'm playing Control Shaman, right? Let's say I'm playing Control Shaman against this deck. I'm just going to have nine cards in hand. If they give me curses one by one and make me overdraw, then who cares? I gonna, I'm still going to have enough value to, to deal with whatever. And I, I'm just going to fatigue them or just have so much value and threats that they're not going to be able to deal with it. Um, so there is counterplay to giving your opponent four curses at the same turn that deal a lot of damage in order to OTK them. Um, it's I will, I will say that, admittedly, this is not a comfortable interaction, and this is probably why this deck got nerfed, because it, it led to like weird situations where you don't want to play Hearthstone, right? But I don't know. I think this probably this deck is probably not going to be good enough, just because I don't think that the meta will let it uh, just do whatever. It has too many inefficient cards. Uh, but if the meta's slow, then maybe yeah, I can I can kind of see it. But I think the cards are like Abyssal Wave and Drag from Below specifically are just really good. But maybe if the uh, the rest of the deck just is good removal, then you can kind of carry it. Uh, it can definitely happen. Murloc Warlock, though. I think Murloc Warlock has a better shot, honestly. I, I like it okay. in terms of... I don't know if better shot, but... Ironically, Murloc Warlock less likely to be beat. Yeah? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Very good hat. The Thank thing you. is about Murloc Warlock is that I can see the stats buffs just going out of control. Like, you can, like, imagine, okay, let, imagine Murloc Warlock, okay, fast matchup, it's just going to play for the board as hard as possible, it's going to buff things uh, with Chum, Bucket, and go twin, and Fin Twin, and Swing Back, and Lush Water Scout, and all that stuff, kind of like Imprison Scrap Impzu, if you remember. I think it has Imprisoned Scrap Imp potential, in terms of buffing things so out of control, that you just can't deal with it. Yeah. In that sense, it gives me that scrap and vibes. Like Chum Bucket can can be absurd. Like you have two Murlocs on the board. This is a two mana three three buff yeah. to all of your Murlocs in your hand. That's a lot of stats. I think I misread it like for a week straight, where I didn't realize that first plus one plus one was guaranteed. Even with yeah. one Murloc, this is a rank two conditioning. Yeah. If you had two off a rock bottom, then it's just it's just on turn three, you're buffing your whole hand by plus three, plus three. That's crazy. Yeah, you play... Okay, so I, I honestly don't think it's going to be that insane on turn two. Like, it's going to be good, right? If you if you rock bottom into Chumbucket, like, you just do that and you, you can't win. Especially in, like, faster matchups. In fast matchups, you're going to fight for board as hard as possible. I don't think this deck is great at fighting for board like that, but that's what you're going to do because you have to. In the slower matchups, maybe you just tap. 
You just yeah. tap, you fill your hand, and you play a rock bottom, and you chum bucket, and good luck. And you play a Jaron uh, scavenger, and you play the valve, and you pull the scavenger, or you see, you see guide, and you just start buffing, you, you're ramping your stats to the point where even Control Warrior might not be able to remove everything. Your entire deck is like buffed Murlocs. Your entire hand gets a plus three, plus three buff. Or even a plus four, plus four, four buff from Chum Bucket. Because, I don't know, you played a Tiny Fin in Rock Bottom for one mana. And you got a plus four, plus four for your whole hand. I think that's, that can win. That's even more than Scrap Imp can do. So, in terms of inevitability, this deck doesn't have an OTK. But it does have such oppressive potential scaling that it's essentially, you, you have to kill me before I do this thing. So I think that it could potentially go that route in slower matchups where it just taps and maintains big hand size for Chumbuck and goes from there. Uh, and if that's successful, then I think this deck is going to be meta. Like if, if you can actually tap against Control Warrior, and chum bucket them to Oblivion, then this deck can be meta. Uh, obviously, the question is, how does he do with the faster matchups, with the efficient, like the face hunters, right? What is it going to do against face hunters? I'm not sure. Uh, what is it going to do against Snowfall Guardian? I'm not sure, right? But, yeah, it, it can't be a thing, especially when you have Gorlock Ravager. Like, imagine you Vilfine a Ravager, <laughs> it's that seems sounds pretty uh, gross, right? It seems pretty good to or, me. Or 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 yeah yeah. There, there's definitely some like there's some crazy stuff. I think Chum Bucket is a card that I would have given a four if I was fully confident that this deck would be real. Uh, I'm not sure, so I was kind of hesitant on giving it a four. But it's definitely a card that can just blow people's minds once expansions releases. We'll see. Uh, the 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 weaknesses the obvious problems with this deck is are there but there's there's stat inevitability that's kind of crazy that you don't see in other decks that are aggressive in nature and then you know we try to figure out uh there's other things like people are thinking about reno let me remind people that reno jackson who a card that's hyped so much was actual meta for like 4 months in standard yeah, like it was, it was in standard format for 16 months since League of Explorers until the end of MSG, and it was meta for four months. Uh, it was before that it was kind of part of like meme decks. Reno Warlock wasn't very good. It was like maybe tier three at best on a good day, and if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure I do. And it was only good once Kazakhstan was out in MSG. So it was meta for four months. Without additional Highlander payoffs, I don't think it's going to be a thing. And unless it's like, like not in Warlock, because Warlock's card quality is already not very high. Like try building a Reno deck, I guarantee you, you're going to stop after like adding 15 cards. Trust me. Well, we kind of said this about every class, but Warlock in particular, like are you going to throw in the Fell cards? Because most of those involve <laughs> shuffling in a bunch of duplicates, and that kind of makes your Reno sad. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, so I landed on the Owl Warlock, um, which is might not be Owl anymore. I'm not sure yet because you know Naval Mine is has some upsides that Owl does not have. But then again, I, I kept thinking back and forth, and I don't know. We'll see what happens, whether it's Owl or Naval Mine, or it's Selfish. Selfish. You can it's do a four like, mana seven seven. Yeah, yeah. You can you can hat you can deal like two hundred damage with that's a, uh, that's a big shellfish. number. Big number. <laughs> Pretty exciting. When that number gets bigger, if that means you're winning more. You're winning more, yeah. It's probably a meme. It's probably not gonna work because you need to be able to execute combo earlier, and if you cannot, like you need full combo. With the the problem with uh, naval mine and shellfish is that you often need to do full combo with Tamsin. You can't just phylactery once. While with Owl, you can often just ignore Tamsin and win without uh, phylactery, and and that's kind of important, especially when the deck doesn't have as much draw. You know, you lose back backfire tour guide. Your deck velocity is going to significantly reduce. You're going to be slower. If you are slower, you're going to tap more. You're going to need things like Entitled Customer to survive. I think that Entitled Customer is a card that I remember everyone, including myself, giving it four stars. We expect it to be the nuts. And then I'm not seeing play at all. But maybe now it comes back. Not comes back. Maybe now it finally becomes meta because Warlock needs removal. Um, but yeah, the combo is still possible. Like I think, I think there's a good shot for this because I think that control warrior, like if Kazakas warrior is really good, then maybe this is the way. Like this is an OTK. This you can still deal 112 damage with all. Uh, that's something that warlike warrior cannot outlast. So maybe this deck has a shot. There's definitely an absence of draw. If this deck simply had an arcane intellect, I would believe more. But it does not. So we'll see. But there's definitely, I think there's potential. Just because this is one of the only OTKs, real OTKs, that you just can't outlast. Carrier cannot outlast it. Warrior cannot outlast it. This kills everything. So maybe there's a shot, even if it's a little bit slower. Um, Yeah. And now final class. The class that, for me, looks the scariest. I mean, all I need to do is just open the deck list for Quest Warrior and Kazakus and Warrior. Had and tell me this is a four. These are four set decks because these do not look like four set decks to me. They just have these everything. Look like, they have everything. They have everything they possibly want. These are not. These are six set decks in four in a four set meta, and that sounds kind of gross. I don't know how we had rotation and quest warrior. The curve just dropped like a rock. We have two cards that cost more than three, and I tried to get you to not run one of them. Yeah. Like, you're telling me, don't run Nelly. I'm telling yeah. you, Hat, let's try her. Let's see if she's bad. If she's bad, we'll drop her. Uh, let's keep uh, Quest Warrior winners a little bit lower, like a 0.01% uh, lower because we're running Nelly if she's bait. But, I mean, we're already pretty low. We added in Amalgam, which is insane. We added in Obsidian Smith, which is insane. Tuscar Trawler, which we already talked about, is just a 2 minute 2 3 Pirate. The Dredge is a bonus. Which is good because what you do, you play quest on run, you play trawler on two, and you find you find something that playable next turn. You're always gonna find something playable, so who cares? Uh, it's just this deck has become so consistent that it's like I'm hearing noises of like, let's play brand so we can brand Rokara. 
And I'm telling you, Rokara is coming down every game on turn 7. You are not going to delay Rokara by a full turn just to play Bran. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to do that. Um, like, the thing about Nelly is that 42% chance to discover a 1-mana smite means the game is gone. And she has a lot of stats. And yes, she's not a pirate. But look, this entire deck, you're always going to have a play. You can play one slightly dead card, and it doesn't matter. Like, honestly, it, does the 30th card even matter, Hat? I mean, look at this deck. It's so... Like, the only thing that can stop this deck, the only way that this deck is not good, is that there's enough, like, mana cheating and superpower spikes that blow this deck out of the board. Because what I will say is that Pyre Warrior, this deck... Play is kind of fair, right? On two, uh, turn one quest, turn two, two drop, turn three, three drop, turn four, two, two drop, turn five, a two and a three, turn six, a three and a three, Rokara comes down on seven. Like, it doesn't blow your mind, right? It's just that this deck is almost like a Baku deck. It's it's a lot less prescribed than it was before, too. We're not running, like, Anchorman or Sword Eater, and, like, we would love to have a Sword Eater, but it, the deck before was very much curve-focused, and now we're just kind of board-spam-focused. We get to go wider faster. We get... There's a bit more flexibility because the cards are so cheap. But yeah. it is a deck that doesn't, like... It doesn't blow your mind in the early game. You're, you're, you're pretty much getting decent stats for cost for, for every card. But mostly it's just the ease of execution and the ease of quest completion... That makes this deck look so efficient and look so good. But I think if if there are decks that can power spike it out of like if like Siren Naga Siren Mage can just take over with a Siren turn and remove their entire board, the, the Warrior's board, and build its own board, then Warrior doesn't really have much counterplay for that, right? You you can't really do anything against that. So that might be a deck that can deal with it. But in terms of just putting stats on the board and pressuring, like, incremental pressure and brutal efficiency and consistency, this this feels like a Baku game deck, right? Like, in terms of just, it's just going to do the same thing every game. It's going to have a two-drop on two. It's impossible to miss. It's impossible to miss a three-drop. It's just going to be very, very consistent. Um, and... I'm telling you, Nelly means that it's going to be very difficult to outlast. Not because you get three pirates, but because by you play Rakara on seven, you play Nelly on eight. Let's say you play Nelly. Let's it's a slow matchup where you need Nelly. In a fast matchup, you don't need her. But in a slow matchup, you play Nelly. If you play Nelly on eight, and you have a forty-two percent chance to discover Smite, that means your chances of having Smite either in your deck naturally drawn. Or generated by Nelly becomes that much higher because it's almost like you're playing one and a half smites in your deck. And that's important because smite is one of the best cards in the deck. And if you have another half a smite, that might be really good, especially if it's one mana. Can, can you beat a one mana smite off of Nelly with this deck? I don't think so. You can even, okay, you can even play Nelly on seven, delay Rokara by a turn in a slow matchup. You get a one mana smite, 
and you play the oh, one minute smite oh, no. with Rokara oh, no. as the quest reward. Oh my goodness. And you deal 13. He... I have to take you Is to... that not gross? One minute smite with rehab. the quest reward on the same turn? I'm taking turn? you to Copium Rehab. What? This is Copium Hat? It, this holding is back Rokara so you can deal the 7? I've got an But you're playing plan. like slow matchup. Slow matchup. You know what's good in Nelly. slow matchups? The juggernaut. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm saying that You know what deals seven damage? The weapon shots and the weapon that you make. I know, but you have to respect the one mana smite. I don't know. I can respect it, not because it makes Rokara as good as she already is. If this card is bad, we'll just drop it the next week. And we'll put whatever other card is. It can be a Wisp. It doesn't matter. Look at the other 29. This is perfect 29. 100%. Now let's talk about Kazakas and Warrior. What, like, you can tell why we think Warrior is going to be probably going to be really good. Or at least likely to be good. Because Kazakas and Warrior looks gross. It just it just, got one, one minute execute. To make, you don't have to make any compromises in either of these lists. You just have all the cards you want. And usually what Pretty you're much. doing in four set metas is looking for the class that has all the cards they want right away, and Warrior does in two different archetypes. Yeah, which is why we, we rate the Warrior very highly. Again, there's a way in which Kazakhstan Warrior is not good if high lethality combos still somehow people figure them out. But if there are any combos that are just damage-based and it's finite damage, then and people play for board... Look at this. This is disgusting. It's so disgustingly efficient and good. Warrior is looks so good. This deck looks so good. Yes, you lose cutting class. Yes, you lose ca- cash. Yes, your card draw, not going to be as consistent. You're going to have some cycles. It's going to help. You can add card draw if you're desperate for it, but it might make the rest of your deck a little bit worse. But I don't think it needs it. You have one mana executes and one mana shield slams again. So you're going to be able to deal with any large threat. You have a UE with Brawl and Shield Chatter. You have Cycle. You have a lot of armor game. You have, yes, you lost uh, uh, Minefield and you lost Bladestorm. But you get Bash back. You get Manda Cannons. You still have that card. That card also works really well as an activator for execute. What else do you what what else do you need from this deck? This deck is perfect. It's is scarily perfect. So I think that if people play for board, this is gonna remove everything and just gonna play Kazakhstan wins. And even if there are some decks with some inevitability, if that inevitability is slow, Kazakhstan and Nate still can get the job done, right? Uh so yeah. Warrior looks really good. Now, I did promise in this podcast that I would have a Xenovajari deck. Ooh, I'm excited. And it's happening. Xenovajari hat. Did you see the it's deck happening. list? Yeah. It looks, it's Does fire. Does it not look cool? It's a fire deck list. Look, it's it's perfect. You got the Talon and the Vandar. You're going to draw Vandar consistently on turn six. You're going to play Fires of Xenovajari. You're going to Vandar. Ideally, you have Blacksmithing Hammer already equipped. Basically, the plan is slower matchups, what you do. You equip Hammer. You play Fires of Nazari and Vandar. And then you play Forge and Flames. Foolproof plan. Why would you do Kazakhstan when you can do this hat? Why would you play Kazakhstan when you can do this? This is perfect. 
The only thing that I'm wondering about whether you actually want Rokara. <laughs> because when are you gonna like I guess if you draw her, you you play her on seven, whatever. But yeah, this looks cool. You can even play um if you want card draw, you can even play Acolyte of Pain. And it doesn't matter for the Vandar, right? Because you can you're transforming your deck anyway. So if you if you drew the acolyte already, then it doesn't deactivate the Vandor. So you can you can run some other minions in the deck. You don't need to go all spells, but it just you just want as many, much removal as possible. So you just play the Kazakistan shell and you take out some good cards and put in some bad cards, and there you go. Um, yeah, my favorite strategy. There are, yeah, I featured this because I promised. There are other avenues for Warrior. Galvanger, still there. You can still do OTKs with Galvanger. That's one of the OTKs in the format that still exists. If somehow Kazakistan Warrior is struggling with something, then there's another win condition that I can fall back on. Overall, I think Warrior just looks really, really good. And people will need to figure out ways to counter it effectively for it not to be very dominant. We'll see. We'll see. Man, I want to play a new standard so bad. I want to play it so bad. It's it's since since Thursday, I have impulse opened the client like ten times, and then I realize that it's not new standard yet, and then I just close it. Okay, what's the first game you're gonna play with what deck from this article hat? So, okay, if I had to pick one, the very first deck, man, I'm tempted to say Agro Pirate Rogue. I'm actually really curious about the Hobgoblin Shaman. Really curious about that. I kind of mm. want to play the Combo Priest. That looks pretty cool. The first game I played in Theory Crafting was Dark Glare Mage, so like I don't have to get that out of my system. I did that already. I'm going to do it All again. Right. But it's not going to be the first. Might be Water Druid again. I really loved playing Water Druid. That was super duper fun. Oh, man, that's really tempting. I might play yeah. Water Druid too, my first game. Or Naga it, Mage. Or the Control yeah. Shaman. Possibly. If you haven't you haven't tried Naga Mage yet, you should do you should do the Dark Lair. You should do Yeah, that. yeah. I should I should I should just play Naga Mage uh first day. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm excited about the the expansion, but this is enough speculations, right? This was a podcast about speculation. The next podcast is not gonna be about speculation. We're gonna talk about what's actually good. And that's where Ooh. I'm really strong at hat. That's where I, that that is my true strength, discussing about what what's actually good in reality, in practice. So you should tune in to the next podcast episode. It's going to be a big one. And yeah, have fun. First few days, everything is janky. It's always fun. I am very much looking forward to it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I want to know. I want to know when you know what's good, but also I kind of don't want to know. Like you said, the jank. Yeah, for now, like a few Embrace days the of just yeah. not knowing, of just playing, is fun. It's fun. It's fun refining things and figure things out and trying to solve puzzles in the meta. It's really fun. Not going to say that. But the first few days of expansions are always refreshing. And yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah. And that's going to do it for this episode. So, I mean, Zach, thank you so much for your week and a half of dedication. And, uh, and we got some really great content out of it. Hope you all enjoyed this podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We will see you on the ladder. You can look forward to the next podcast, Early Impressions.
the first weekend, and then we'll have the report the weekend after. But until then, you'll have the new cards. You'll have Evil Dave's transcription, so thank you, Evil Dave, for the transcription. And you'll have Steven Sensei, because we always have the intro and outro. Thank you, Steven. We'll talk to you all soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.